0: Hey Retrospectors, for our third birthday we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your
1: questions.
2: We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show and what we've learned along the way.
1: If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors.
2: And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now.
0: So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's October 11th, 1906. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca and Ali. The Retrospectors.
2: In the aftermath of the deadliest earthquake ever to hit the United States, the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, you'd think you'd want to concentrate on rebuilding the decimated city. But if you were a member of the Japanese Exclusion League, this reset was a perfect opportunity for San Francisco to address the real danger in its midst, the 93 children of Japanese descent in the city's public schools, which it did today in 1906 when the students were ordered to attend a separate, quote, oriental school, sparking an international incident.
1: And of those 93 japanese students that at the time were attending the 23 san francisco public schools that they were so i mean you're really talking about minorities spread quite thinly anyway 25 of those students had been born in the united states and were american anyway but such was the animosity towards japanese immigrants there was just this unassailable general view that the japanese were unassimilable and could potentially overrun the white man from California. Yeah, San Francisco's school district had
0: a policy that dated right back to 1893 of segregating Japanese students, as they did with Chinese students, but there just weren't enough Japanese students around to justify the expense of building them their own school. And this was partly because Chinese uh, immigrants tended to congregate into Chinatowns, and so they were all in the one area, whereas Japanese uh, immigrants scattered themselves all over the city. And consequently, they were sort of housed in individual schools. So they weren't easily touched by the efforts that were being made to build specific schools for specific ethnicities. Rather, they had to sort of fall into the school system as it was.
2: Yeah, and the the school board were not ideologically opposed to segregating the Japanese. But because it was such a dispersed population, the petitions of the Japanese Exclusion League were seen as being infeasible. And the existing Chinese school was already at capacity. In 1850. San Francisco had opened a Chinese school in response to white backlash against the presence of the children of Chinese immigrants in public schools. But after the earthquake, many residents left San Francisco, residents of all races, including Chinese. So the newly rebuilt Chinese primary school was at half capacity. And so at this point, the Japanese Exclusion League came barreling back in, saying, I know you, you keep saying that there's no room and that we're not going to do this, but look, the school is now half empty. You've got no excuse not to get the Japanese children in there, which under the law, they are supposed to be segregated it's just been overlooked and the pressure of all this anti-Japanese sentiment meant that the board was you know kind of uh, you know forced to agree and the Japanese students were ordered to attend the rebranded oriental public school this provoked a a reaction straight away from the Japanese parents not just you know on ideological grounds but also on logistical grounds as you mentioned the Japanese immigrants were scattered all over the city and many of them said we cannot send Mm. our child all the way across the city to attend this segregated school.
1: Okay, so where did this racism towards Japanese citizens in in San Francisco in particular come from? Um, The gold rush, as ever, has a lot to answer for here. At first, Chinese men, Chinamen, as they were called by these white people then, were solicited to work as labourers for the California expansion effort. There was an invitation to bring people over from China to work. But then when the economy entered a depression following the Civil War... Uh, Labour leaders saw the Chinese immigrants as a threat to the white working class and cue scapegoating and hate crimes and racist terminology. In 1880, the ration of men to women in Chinatown was 20 to 1 because you had uh, men living aside from their families back in China to make money to send back over to there. Um, And so they were soliciting prostitutes, they were gambling, and this was the image that was being propagated of Chinese men. So there was a lot of anti-Chinese feeling Which then ended up with the Chinese being prevented from coming any further into California. And so you ended up with Japanese coming to take their place and the Japanese received no more friendlier
0: reception. Yeah. And, you know, as the Chinese population receded and the Japanese population expanded, you had the same kinds of falsehoods and racism being directed at uh, Japanese immigrants that were previously being directed towards the Chinese immigrants you know the, the these unions as they called themselves uh, that that were pretty much just discriminatory <laughs> groups claimed that mm. Japanese people would come and rob white workers not just of their jobs but also it was a similar sentiment to the great replacement theory that's sort of predominating in the darker corners of the web these days this idea that Japanese people would actually come to replace uh, the, the sort of complexion of the U.S. as it existed then. But it's an amazing to look at some of the ways that this anti-Japanese sentiment manifested itself. In 1901, the campaign platform of San Francisco Mayor Eugene Schmitz included educating, quote, all Asiatics, both Chinese and Japanese, in separate schools. And then you had the, like, the San Francisco Chronicle just absolutely laying into uh, Japanese-Americans with barely concealed bile. It wasn't really concealed at all, in fact. It was just straight up bile. No, (laughs) it really wasn't. I've
1: got here what the San Francisco Chronicle ran as an editorial. The Japanese invasion of the United States is the problem of the hour. It said the Japanese is no more assimilable than the Chinese, and he is no less adaptable in learning quickly how to do white man's work and how to get the job for himself by offering his labor for less than a white man can live on. Once the war with Russia is over, the brown stream of Japanese immigration is likely to become an inundating torrent, and the class of the immigrants is likely to become worse instead of better. I mean, there's nothing very hidden about that, is there?
2: But the Japanese parents weren't going to take this lying down either. The ruling of the school board appeared to them to violate a US-Japan treaty that had been signed in 1894 that ensured equal treatment for Japanese citizens in the US. And, you know, back in Japan, there was a furious reaction too. The whole point of, you know, we've talked before about the Meiji reforms was for Western powers to treat Japan as an equal on the world stage. You know, and now they're being treated like Chinese people. They weren't going to stand for that. And so they raised their objections diplomatically. So this ended up bringing in, you know, what actually was a fairly kind of parochial issue about schools in one particular US city ended up involving, not only involving President Roosevelt, but he also dedicated a lengthy passage in his State of the Union message to Congress that year to condemning what he called the wicked absurdity of the decision and to anti-Japanese sentiment in general.
0: Yeah, Roosevelt actually directed legal action against the school district, which he was hoping would cow them into submission and, you know, basically make them reverse the decision that they'd just come to. But, you know, rather than back down, they were doubling down.
1: Yes. And in the end, what happened is that Roosevelt had to satisfy both Japan and San Francisco through what became known as a gentleman's agreement. Essentially, the the District of California rescinded its segregation policy for Japanese students. And in return for that, Japan promised tacitly to deny visas to laborers seeking to emigrate to the United States. I mean, it must have been pretty obvious, mustn't it? Mm -hmm. If you're Japanese and you're intending to come over to California like 35,000 previous people have from your country, and then neither you nor anyone you know is allowed to, I think it must have become pretty obvious what deal had been done
2: from the u.s perspective the unspoken you know, subtext was that black children in the south had been segregated from their white yes. counterparts for generations at this point and that most politicians in washington had sort of stayed away from the issue and shrugged it off as being something for the states to be dealing with individually roosevelt did try and distance his remarks about what was going on in san francisco from jim crow in the south by couching the concern in terms of international diplomacy and so you know the potential embarrassment or worse of being seen to mistreat citizens of foreign nations you in his State of the Union, he pointed out that the Japanese people had donated $100,000 through the Red Cross to aid those affected by the San Francisco earthquake. You know, so he was saying, I mean, it's a bit, it's ugly really because the the undertone is, you know, the, the black children are American and we can do what we want with them. But the Japanese children, that could cause a diplomatic incident. So we have to be a bit more sensitive. But either way, the result was that in public, Roosevelt was saying, quote, we have as much to learn from Japan as Japan has to learn from us. No nation is fit to teach unless it is also willing to learn, but behind the scenes he was pragmatic about the fact that one way to reduce the amount of you know, bad headlines about anti-Japanese discrimination was just to try and reduce the amount of Japanese people in the States.
0: Hmm. Well, exactly. And, you know, it very quickly became pretty much government policy, you know, this gentleman's agreement ultimately metastasized into and was replaced by the 1924 Immigration Act, which overtly barred all Asians from entering the country and remained on the books until 1965. There was a a New York Times opinion piece that had the headline, America of the melting pot comes to an end. This was in April 1924, and Senator David Reed of Pennsylvania, um, really proud, uh proclaimed, the racial composition of America at the present time thus is made permanent.
1: Yeah, which isn't evident if you go to San Francisco now, where there right. is, you know, once again, a bustling Chinatown and Japantown as well. Um, but, of course, in the intermittent period for any of the ethnically Japanese people that remain behind, some of whom, of course, were American, um, it was not a happy period uh, during the Second World War, especially
2: Yeah, and another side effect of the anti-Japanese discrimination laws in immigration was that it was impossible for the community to grow except by people naturally starting families. But there weren't that many people, of course, to choose from. And obviously, the reception in the white community to having a Japanese suitor was not particularly positive. There was an exception in the ban on immigration from Japan for wives and children of existing immigrants. And obviously, you had a lot of now Japanese immigrants stuck in the US without a lot of options when it came to finding a wife in the very small existing Japanese community. This gave rise to the picture bride phenomenon, basically male order marriages of convenience, which allowed Japanese women a way to bypass the ban on immigration to the US and Japanese men an easier way to find a wife from their own community. So these women would turn up in San Francisco on a ship having seen only a picture of their groom and the groom having seen only a picture of the bride.
1: And guess what? That didn't go down too well with uh, white people in America either. It's funny, isn't it? Because, like, they didn't like the Chinese men living by themselves without women, but then when the Japanese men brought their women over, they didn't like that either.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like there was no pleasing them.
1: (laughs) Tomorrow. Let's try taking boobs out of Playboy. Well, five years later, game's over. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash retrospectors.